episode 81, part B, just Leah Curtin on EI. Welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Deb, and today I'm joined by Leah Curtin. You might know her from Speech and Language at Home on Instagram. Say hi, Leah. Hello. I'm so happy that we finally got to do this interview. (laughs) Yes, me too. You have the best resources for early intervention. I love your calendars, and I love that. I feel like you made that 25 strategies. Um... I don't want to say it's a meme, but graphic. Mm-hmm. And it was just like kind of spread around Instagram yeah. like wildfire. Yeah. It's such um, great advice. Well, thank you. Yeah, I just made it for my own needs. I I was needing like a reference sheet to for myself and also something to give to parents. And it's like perfect for the refrigerator just to, um, mm-hmm. yeah, or for clinicians to just kind of have on hand. So absolutely. So before we get into today's topics, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, I have been practicing for a long time. Um, I started in the schools and worked there with like preschool up through high school um, for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. And then we moved and I did that for another year. And then just for my family's sake, I needed some more flexibility. So I did some private practice started seeing kids on the side, as well as um, I went into home health. So although a lot of my materials are for early intervention, um, I've been seeing kids from like birth to teenagers. Okay. So, yeah. Um, So you go to everyone or everyone comes to you or both? um, Go out to see kids. Yes. Home visits and stuff. Right. And I feel like that's super helpful in terms of early intervention because you're within their environment. You're utilizing things that they interact with daily. Um, Yes. And it's a really interesting transition because I was just going from the elementary school population mostly to that more medical setting. Um, Because with home health, we were getting a lot of referrals from the, the children's hospital. So more of those severe complex kids, but also a lot of them were from birth to three. So a lot of kids in an age I hadn't seen before, plus um, medical conditions that I had to really um, get more educated on. So, And before we get into today's topics, can you talk about a little bit of, I like to always think about the mindset of early intervention because it is quite different than any other aspect of speech pathology where it's quite like scheduled tour, regimented, you sit down, you tell someone to do something, they do it. That doesn't work. Right. Right. And, um, I kind of had to learn that, um, just on my own as I was working with this population because, uh, working with the doctors and nurses and families, it felt much more just that kind of the medical clinical setting that I had received training on. But as I was doing more, um, research i'm like really no the best it looks like the best way to work with these kids is through coaching but that's not what i have been trained in i've I've never been trained in it and it's not a natural strength for me to talk to parents so um that's kind of i mean how they do the early intervention the model is where you um are really there to help support meet the kids needs 
um, in the daily routines and you're trying to support what the families are wanting to work on, um, which is kind of different from maybe like a doctor's what the reports that you're writing up for them. So, right. Yeah. And you have to, so going into early intervention, I often, it's like the one population that makes me anxious before I start a session. Whereas I don't feel like that for any other age group. As soon as they're three or older, I'm like, fine. I can talk to any kid who, yes. And, um, when I first started working in the home health, I would bring in all my toys and, um, you know, I can play. I feel Mm -hmm. very comfortable sitting on the the ground and playing with kids, but, um, I had to sort of work my way out of that to do kind of more coaching and less. I, I gradually brought in less toys, worked more with the toys that the families had. And, um, that's kind of how these handouts that I created came out because I needed something to come in to families with. Right. Um, and I think their parents are just like their kids. They need visuals to learn right. too. So, um, there wasn't a lot out there as far as parent education materials. And I think that that's so important because that's really the person who you're working with in the home is teaching right. The and there's only so much that you're going to be able to do twice a week for really 25 minutes, not Absolutely. 30. I mean, when like. the kid could be, you know, waking up from a nap or, I mean, they're so unpredictable at that hitting a kid when they're on, right. you know, you know, having a good day is, you can't count on that. So. Right. So really it's obviously you'll interact with the kid as much as possible, but the real meat and potatoes of early intervention speech therapy is coaching the parents to do certain things throughout their uh, daily routine in order to demonstrate progress in whatever their goal areas are. Yes, correct. But I will also add that, um, that that's also ideally how it should work and it doesn't always work that way. So if you go in thinking, okay, I'm just going to model this for the parents and then they're going to take over and I'm going to coach them through it. That wasn't happening for me with the majority of the kids on my caseload. So I had to kind of get used to that being like, well, this is how it's supposed to work. But, you know, I was working with families that had, were working three jobs or, you know, educating nurses who would be replaced every two months. And um, so you've got to kind of balance that out too. Sometimes it is more direct therapy, um, right. just depending on the situation. And depending on the setting, because yeah. I work um, part-time at a clinic and these parents are taking time out of their day to bring their kid into um, a private practice and they don't want to be, they don't want the whole session to be counseling them. Yeah. They want to see some things happening. Yes, absolutely. They want to know what the therapy really looks like. So they want to see you doing it. Yeah. 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 So it's a middle ground between coaching and direct therapy. Yes. Um, So today we're going to talk about um, activity ideas for AAC and breaking down goals for kids who demonstrate slow progress. But Mm -hmm. just as Leah and I were just mentioning, we're communicating with parents is some of the key elements of um, EI intervention. So how do you effectively communicate with parents? Well, um, I think for me, I think it can depend on the therapist. I think there's different ways to do it. Um, I am not 
I'm more of a quiet person. So for me to come in and it just wasn't natural for me. So I'm a pretty good listener. And I think that's really important in early intervention. Um, the families really have to feel comfortable with you and trust you. And I think if you kind of come in and tell them all of these things that they need to be doing, it can be overwhelming. So it's a relationship that you have to build. Right. So how would you recommend uh, easing into it? Would you give three pointers and what would be an example or your phrasing? Yeah, I think starting out with, um, of course, like your initial evaluation, like how you approach that coming in, um, the getting to know the kids sitting on the floor, making sure, kind of just reading how the parents um how they're comfortable. And of course, um, you know, some families, like you were saying that they want to see you doing things right away. So you just kind of have to read the family. Um, I like to, first of all, just ask about what the kids interests are. I think that that's a really good icebreaker. Mm -hmm. Um, what kind of toys do they like to do? Ask them about their day. What are their daily routines and find out what they're doing already and find out what they know already instead of just assuming, um, they, they you never that. really know if they yeah. might, I mean, I've talked to parents and they're like, oh, I have a child education background. And you're like, okay, well, that's where we're starting from. Versus, right. Yeah. So. So then um, do you often give parents homework? Um, it really depends a lot on the family. Mm -hmm. um, I like to model and see what they're kind of doing already. If it's, I mean, it could just be play homework like this is what we're working on um and i can kind of tell if that's something that they get excited about and that they're going to practice and spend time doing mm -hmm. um, with other families like they want more um direct activities that they can do in which case i'll right um use like books or um yeah mostly just books and that kind of activities it's a start oh. and stop kind of. Right. Yeah. What are some um, like explicit details that you tell a parent like do this at home? Um, I think a lot of parents are interested. Well, I mean, it depends on the age range, but I'll just use like kids who aren't talking yet. Um, a lot of parents will maybe have tried sign language or know that that's a good strategy. So they will want to. And I think that that's a good um physical thing that parents can do with their kids. And um, so usually I'll just kind of start there. And most parents are interested in learning that. Um, when I'm teaching parents signs, obviously they're hopefully um, easy for the kids to produce with their hands, what they might be modified. So I'll educate the parents on that, that, you know, they may be trying to say ball, but it looks nothing like like right. I see it as ball uh -huh. but they're like they're just waving their hands I'm like no they're they're doing that the same way so you're educating that way um using the child's interest and I kind of choose like two or three signs a week to kind of focus on what are the first couple that you usually um I do I mean I'm trying to think it because it does depend so much on kids ball is a good one because they it depends on what they like to play with. And I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of families have so many different 
kinds of toys that have balls in them, you know, so, um, and you can pass back and forth. So I find that's a good one that you can kind of have control over and, um, do turn taking with and use that in lots of different settings. Mm -hmm. Um, bubbles I also do, or like, um, just kind of a modification of the sign bubbles if we're using that activity a lot. Um, so things that you would, you're not, you, not that you're strictly working on requesting, but you're saying like, it's going to be easier to teach these children things that are motivating. So they might be requesting a ball or requesting bubbles. Right. And we're starting there. Yes. It kind of, I, I work on the like activity first and then we talk about what we want the kid to say Mm -hmm. and then we, um, choose words after that. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So then, um, what are some activity ideas for AAC for this early language learning population? Um, I think that it's been really interesting learning or just seeing that AAC from the other side and how it is at home. And um, as big of a topic as AAC is, I think, um, you know, it's so complex and I'm not an expert in it, but I've worked with kids. And so I've, you know, um, had to learn more with each different family. And I find it's really hard for parents at home. I mean, especially when I'm working with those little kids that Mm -hmm. this is like totally new for parents. So we are in there in the homes and this is our, the parents maybe first exposure to what AAC is. So I do like the whole total communication approach. Um, letting parents know we're working towards words and sounds if you know that's their goal is to have their kids talking but also using signs and then talking about AAC bringing in the visuals from anything from like visual schedules to I mean some kids I work with do have um, AAC systems and if I can Mm -hmm. tell that that's something that the child is gonna be um, really benefit from them I'll, you know, often I'm at the the process where we're starting just the whole evaluation process. So we usually start low tech and um, I refer for uh, AAC evaluation so a team can do it. Right. Um, Yeah, but I think it's just an adjustment for the parents, like mentally. So it's just to be there to support. Um, Yeah. So activities that I think are the most successful or that I've found the most successful. Um, I find books to be really helpful because parents generally already have that as part of their daily routine with their kids. Right. And um, a lot of little kids books are, they have the pictures that um, are first words anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's kind of, I can show and model parent to parents what AC looks like in a structured activity. And I think with that, there's more of a chance of carryover because they can sit down and do that. And can you, the best you can, because this is a uh, audio format, um, explain to the us how an AAC activity would look? Because I do feel like we get this information all the time. Like, yeah, use books with AAC. Yeah. Yeah. Model AAC. But what, how, like step one, you have a low tech or a high tech AAC. Right. Either like a paper system or you have an iPad. 
and then you have the book. So then you open the, well, no, you're looking at the cover and now what? Okay. So if I have a, a book and I'm looking at the cover, I will point to the pictures and, um, I'm either doing kind of two things. I'm using the vocabulary page, um, which most devices have. Like if we're talking about animals, I might mm -hmm. have just that page open and we're, right. I'm labeling, modeling to showing how to use the device. Not really expecting the kid to do it at that point. Okay. So but you're hitting the buttons or you're yeah. pointing to. So if it's, um, if it's a book that is about a frog or and like frog and toad, maybe right. and you're pointing right. to fr frog and toad um, mm -hmm. on this AAC. Yes. And like showing the kid where it is. Um, yeah. Like showing that they can, um, there's that kind of cause and effect. I mean, I'm, of course the kids that I'm working with are generally younger and they want to get their hands on it too. So it's also about, um, how to use, you know, it's a balance. The kids are going to want to just, um, touch all the buttons. Yeah. Explore. And so <laughs> yeah. that's what I teach the parents too, is that that's the natural process of it. And so I'm not just modeling how, how I would read the book, but I'm also modeling to parents. Um, it's okay to let the kids explore and modeling, redirecting them like back to the activity or trying to make it more functional, but still letting the kids learn and explore their device. Right. Like let them explore, but then also that it has to be rule governed. So it's not just like anarchy. And now we associate this yeah. device with just like hitting buttons and yeah. playing. Um, so like, let's say it's frog and toad and then you turn the page and it's like, toad is making cookies. Would you type, would you hit like from the whole, like toad is making cookies? Well, and, like go to each screen <laughs> that would have those things. Okay. So I had a hard time finding books. Like I struggled with that and I had a hard mm -hmm. time finding books um, that I would use a lot with the device because often they're devices that I was not familiar with. And so, you know, I spent half the time looking up <laughs> the words. Right. Mm -hmm. So I ended up making um, my own books that had that repetitive phrases. He feels um, like sad because that's what I wanted the kids to do. I mean, that's was their goal is like using their core words on that front page, feel, um, see, want. So mm -hmm. I, I kind of made my own materials because it was hard to find those books that where you would get the whole sequencing pattern. Right. Otherwise you're going from screen to screen and you're trying yeah. to like, find and that's, stuff. that's great as they get more developed into it. But for kids mm -hmm. who are just learning, they need that that repetition of the motor pattern. Right. Um, yes. She likes whatever she likes. So, so I just, I created materials that were set up that way um, that teach the core words, but also would lead you to a page of feelings or family mm -hmm. or things like that. Right. And then the feelings page um, on the AAC devices that I have been using, they'll often also have pronouns on it yeah. because it's like, that's the way in which you would discuss feeling. So you wouldn't find yourself, um, scrolling all over that, uh, device looking for those other opportunities, food pages too. So like, yes. it's good to start with food and feelings with animals. It's a little bit trickier because it's like, in what capacity are we talking about yes. animals the other animals, than maybe how fast they are or how yeah, slow they they're are. going to be doing something or mm -hmm. right. Yes, I agree. And I mean, sometimes you just want them to, 
find the one picture, you know, you're kind of at that single word level as mm-hmm. they're, they're learning, but then building in phrases and, um, yeah, it depends on, on the device, how they can set up that way. If it's already on the pages. Great. Right. And then, so one of your activities that you so graciously sent to Maria and myself to use, you have, um, what does he want? And there's, um, a bunch of objects at the top of a bookshelf and a boy looking up. Um, and so the first one is he wants a cookie. So how I am seeing myself doing this activity, I would start off on the homepage and mm-hmm. wants would be on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he can, they can learn to hit food and then yes. food there would be cookie. Well, they probably have to go to dessert within food and find cookie, but mm-hmm. my AAC users are older than early intervention. Um, right. But on the food page, you could also have pronouns and wants because that's the way in which you would talk about food. Right. I want the cookie or I like it. So then he wants cookie. He wants, would you, what about the, um, the, uh, cookie? Would you know? I don't have them do the A. I mean, I rarely have a kid unless they're at the, um, reading level. We just skip the A. Um, do you and say that, it, but you just don't hit it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So it would be like, you would read, he wants a book. He wants a book. You know what I don't know is when you say a uh, or a, it's just whatever comes naturally to me. Uh, he wants a book. Um, so you would say he wants a book, but then you would point to he wants book. Yes. While you're modeling in this activity. So mm-hmm. you would say he wants a bear and then you would say he want bear on right. the device. Right. I love it. This is a great simple activity. And, and where you can modify these- it. Um, if they're, if finding the, like the fringe vocabulary is too mm-hmm. difficult, you could also modify it and just say like, he wants it. Okay. And just use that phrase for every page mm-hmm. um, until the kid gets that. Oh, look, he wants it. He wants, and um, Got modify it. it that way. So don't, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think, it's really important to remember to end with AAC, just being flexible and, and modifying things. Um, it's okay. <laughs> I think we get stuck in the words and we want to match it so right. nicely, but you know, we don't always have to do that. <laughs> yeah. There's high pressure with uh, yeah. the field of speech pathology thinking like everything has to be EBP. So I better make sure that I follow every guideline and I do things according to the science. But sometimes like you have to ease your way into that. You have to see yeah. like, how am I going to convey this to this individual? Purposely saying individual and not child because everyone is different. Right. So there is right. no like, like one uh, strategy fits all type of opportunity. Exactly. But yeah, you can modify most things to um, <clears throat> demonstrate progress in any area. Yeah. And to help them be successful. Cause I think with AAC too, it's like, there's such a learning curve and there's, you know, um, it's challenging. It's like a whole other language. So you want right. to make it as easy for them as possible. Um, so that their success. Right. Um, so then any more activity ideas for AAC? How else would you use it? Um, I think it's really nice. Like in the home, I've also, you know, done it, um, with daily activities, just having like um, a low tech, just a piece of paper um, 
you can make your own <clears throat> symbols or communication boards or however, but I like to kind of have something next to me when we're playing. If I think a kid will end up having a device, but they don't have one yet, which is often really frustrating, um, or it's just, you know that they would benefit from them, but they just don't have that available yet. I'll have visuals next to me and um, work with pictures on making choices or, um, you know, pointing. So um, a lot of times I'll take pictures of the toys that the kids have and, mm -hmm. you know, so we might not be working on materials. But... Exactly. We may not be working on pecs necessarily, but, you know, I'm holding up two things and letting them use eye contact and make choices between two objects. Um, and then they get the reward of their toy. So kind of teaching early communication at that stage. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think something that I didn't know and wasn't aware of was um, that when you're using AAC, you really do need like visuals or sentence strips or both when you're using it. Um, I, <clears throat> I didn't get AAC exposure in undergrad or yeah. grad school. I don't feel like I did. Um, I only graduated grad school in 2012, but I still feel like AAC has done a lot oh, yeah. since then. Mm -hmm. um, so I really have always felt so like everything was so vague when it came to AAC, but now I find it easier and easier because it's just like, no matter what the activity is, I'm going to choose activities that I'm doing with their age matched peers and I'm going to see how I can get them to achieve the same or similar things as those age matched peers, but using this device instead of their verbal language. Right. Or maybe their verbal language is quite minimal. Like maybe we can only get ball, but then on the AAC, I can get he want ball. Mm -hmm. So um, I often will, because, well, I like to draw, but I also don't have always the most time to plan and I don't have very much access to the printer. I can't just like print things whenever I want. I have to go to another computer. I have to email it to myself. I have to go to oh, another yeah. computer. And then I have to like pray that somebody else isn't making a hundred copies of a worksheet right. by the time I get to the copier. So for me, I just don't even use the printer anymore. I really just draw things with Sharpies. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I have found that to be super effective. I do the best I can to mimic the drawing that's on the AAC. So I see, I have like my sentence strip that I've drawn below, similar to the ones that are very readily available um, in your materials. Um, and I'll put he wants blank and then I'll have mm -hmm. cards that the child can cover that blank with and then they can enter that in on the device. Yes, yes. And I think that that just helps them, um, they get it more when they have that visual it just makes more sense to them. Yeah. And it makes more sense to me before yeah. I was like, how does anyone do this? Like yeah. I'm just supposed to say it and hope that they understand, but no, it really doesn't work without that little sentence strip or visual. So mm -hmm. maybe mm -hmm. I don't think you can give them too many visuals. I mean, yeah. I often, I think too, we think, Oh, they have an AAC device or some system. And that means you can't use other systems, but I mean, use everything you have. I mean, you can still use, um, I mean, any visuals that you have that would help any kid, um, in combination right. with their, with their device. So, yeah. Right. And, um, I often get questions. It'll just be like, I'll go to my DMS and they'll just be paragraphs 
of deficits. Yeah. People will be like, what should I do? And I, I don't know what to say because I don't know that child. But what I do consistently say is, okay, like you told me everything that they can't do, which is very important information, but I always start from what they can do. So if I can get them to consistently tap something that I point to, then I'm going to start there. Or yeah. if I can consistently get them to take something that I've handed them, I'm going to start there. So it's hard to give advice because everyone's so individualized. But I think the advice that always works is start with what you can get them to do consistently. Yes, I agree 100%. Um, and then move on from there. <laughs> so how then, um, how can we break down goals for kids who show slow or minimal or no progress? Yeah. Well, um, I really was trying to find ways that I could do that with the families that I was seeing um, with these, you know, kids who I wasn't even sure where we were making progress, but I knew it was important to sing. I knew it was important to get their icon, you know? Right. Um, but they so, might've had a goal where they should be <laughs> like speaking five to seven utterances. And you're like, okay, well we're singing. That's what we got to. <laughs> and, you know, um, I, I tried to find ways that I could um, use that parent education and show them we are making progress. Um, because they would just think we're just sitting there playing. So, um, for example, like if I was working with a kid and we were, um, like maybe a nonverbal kid is really having a hard time with attention or sitting still, I might be singing like wheels on the bus with them and we come in, we're doing that for, it seems like a long time. And the parents might not feel like, Oh, you've been doing that for a month. What, like, why are you still doing that? But showing them, okay, they they have sat for longer just like the amount of time they can stay with the activity right or um you know progress to be like look they're initiating um if i stop they're um putting their hands out because they want me to start singing that song again um, right are they imitating some of the moments i mean one week they might just be trying to imitate you know, the wheels go around, but a few weeks later, they're imitating, you know, two or three more verses. So explaining that to parents of like, okay, we're still working on the wheels on the bus, but they are making progress. If you look at all these little right. parts of it. If you saw like initially they were singing, I was singing wheels on the bus and I was stopping every couple words because I was trying to get them back to their seat or get their attention back on me. Right. Now we get through the whole song and, and we're going through the motions. Right. Um, so yeah, I, um, was mentioning to you off air that a lot of my early intervention clients are feeding, which is a whole nother beast. Um, and what I have to find myself, I feel like the most stressed out about these clients because although I am aware that these people are there for feeding, mm -hmm. I have to get this child acclimated to me, acclimated yes. to the room, acclimated to this chair they're about to be buckled into. Mm -hmm. So before I'm like, parents come in, they're like, we're trying new foods. I'm like, no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're not. Cause mm -hmm. I need, I need them. I need to win them over. I, I need to get right. that child's buy-in. So, um, I love the example of using, the wheels on the bus because that would just one it would demonstrate the commencement of the therapy session like the child knows we're getting to work because just like every other time before this is our starting song 
Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and, and then it like gets rid of that anxiety caused by ambiguity and just open-ended. What are we doing in this room? When is it over? Mm-hmm. It, it establishes a routine and comfort and it helps you win that child over. So I think that's a great way to start sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just understanding like, yeah, I do the same thing over and over again. People are like, you make therapy look so simple and easy. It's because I've been doing the same thing almost yeah. with everyone, but changing yeah. it according to how I can get them on board but right. over and over again so that everything that I do is so predictable. Yes. Kids. Yes. And I think that that's when you're working with families, it's hard to explain like, okay, you do see us doing the same thing and here's why, and mm-hmm. here's why it's beneficial <laughs> um, right. because it can look, I mean, we know what we're working on, but someone just watching might be like, what are mm-hmm. they doing and how is that helping? Right. Yeah. Like I will often um, start off with the KSLP cards because I just mm-hmm. love them. I think they're mm-hmm. big. And I even started making my own preposition cards just five yeah, by seven. Those are great. Those are so great. Yeah. And I just love that size card. I yeah. think it's, and the and kids are full and, and I think the way how you have your cards set up, they're like the repetition also, yeah. it's like everything changes and they, it draws their attention because they can see like the one part that's different. Right. And then they're like, Oh, that's yeah. now where'd oh. that be go? It, it makes it easy for them because they don't have to start with a whole nother picture. It's like, okay, this is familiar. Right. And then they're just responsible for like that one part that's changed. And it's achievable. Totally. Yeah. So I'll, like I said, again, like I'll have an early intervention picky eater who is coming in for feeding, but I'm sitting down with them in the chair and I'm doing either my cards or the KSLP cards. And these parents are like, I have no concerns about speech. I'm like, me either. That's why we're doing this because they have to want to be there first. Kids have to not want to be like getting up and or yeah, wanting to run. Exactly. So if I'm up there sing-songy, like with that sing-song voice, just doing these cards and the kids are like repeating, they're like, I, that's very attainable to them. So even mm-hmm. if they're not working on that, it's just like one way in which I know I can, as bad as it sounds like control. Yeah. Them. They, yes. Yeah. They're, yes. They're complying and yeah. you're, yeah. They're getting like, I do something, you do something. And then from there we can progress to like, if I open my mouth, now you open your mouth. If I move my tongue around and yeah, Mm -hmm. but we're starting with something that I, I is easier to get to. Right. Which I never knew. No one told me that. No, I think you're doing a great job. It took me a long time. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's different approaches to feeding. There's like the, I mean, that's more of like the behavioral, like, okay, we're going to do this by, yeah, little baby steps of you're not going to start in with food right away. Yeah. Well, sometimes I have like very desirable food. Like everyone likes cheese. Probably why we have the podcast. <laughs> oh, so, so if the parents bring in cheese. That's also another way to get that child to sit there and yeah. understand that when we come here, we do things with our mouth and like we taste things. And for the first couple sessions, it's all like preferred snacks that they are very willing to take. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the point is, is that it's slow and there's nothing right away. You yeah. got to communicate with the parents and you have to get acclimated with the parents and the child and the location. Yeah. 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 I had no idea. I feel like I used to just, just complete anxiety, panic. And then like afterwards was that enough? Are they, what are they thinking well, about? Yeah. We all have areas that we're stronger in and you know, then we get those kids that we 
are like, oh no, how am I going to do this? I mean, yeah, we've, I think we've all felt that way, but Mm -hmm. um, that's just part of our jobs, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Getting familiar with what's uncomfortable. So. Right. Yeah. So, so breaking down the goals, um, just to sum up, so it would be like, let's say that their goal is something like so-and-so will label 15 age-appropriate common objects, Mm -hmm. Um, but you're noticing like, we don't even have really very much eye contact yet at this point. So we could break down that goal in what ways? Um, I like to, one of the things that I do a lot with families is like they're interested in first words, right? Like, okay, how many words are they saying? And they might be approximating a sound. So I will track um, words like, uh, okay, they might not be saying um, the word mom, for example, but um, they might be making the word approximation of mom, or they might be signing mom, or um, even just putting their lips together. So if that goal is for the child to say, you know, a single word, mm-hmm. um, what are the steps leading up to it that they would need before they're actually verbalizing the word? Can they, um, uh, like imitate an approximation? Are they saying an ap- approximation on their own? Are they doing it? You know, have they made that sound twice or are they doing it all day long? So right. kind they of do it on commands, do they do it while right. pointing to her? Right. Teaching parents the difference between imitating words and spontaneously saying words. Um, Yeah. And are they just all day just going like mum, 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 (laughs) mum? Or are they actually saying like mum? Right. And I I think having, keeping a list like that is um, something that parents are excited about to, to make, it also gives you like as a, something to talk about as you come in, like, how did your week go? It's very trackable from week to week and parents are often motivated, you know, to, that that's something that they can follow generally. Um, you know, did they make a sign for that or they can, they can see the progress over time just by either teaching a sign or building imitation or it's exciting when they start to say them spontaneously. And then, you know, when those kids are using that word, all the time and you have a record of it, like look at how far they've come in the last two months or something. So Right. So then if the goal happened to be labeling 15 age-appropriate common objects, but at this point, the only thing that we really have is an approximation of mom, even though mom's not a common object, break down that goal and start there because the child is already on their way to it. And then you can generalize that like, okay, so here's mom and we say mom. Now yeah. here's a ball. Right. Ball. Right. And then just kind of build up to there. You have a list and a record and your data to say, okay, you know, for, for progress reports, you could say however many months ago they could say, you know, five words in imitation. And now they can say 15 words in imitation and five spontaneously. Right. So building up to that 50, you know, labeling 50 objects. Right. That's another thing I feel like I mention to people often is that you don't have to feel so uh, rigid about the goals that are written already. Um, I know that SLPs historically like to check boxes and cross things off lists, um, but I have no problem writing like 
you know, so-and-so there's, so maybe the goal is that they have to label 15 common objects. Um, I would have no problem saying like, okay, so they, they are able to approximate five and speech therapy will continue to target this goal in order mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Um, increase the, com- the length and complexity of whatever. So I have no problem saying it's not met yet and saying yeah. like what they can do, like just writing down the progress that was from the baseline of zero or whatever it was. Right. And saying like, I have no shame. I mean, I did whatever I could. <laughs> We got right. five. And you're like, oh, you might look back at that list and be like, oh, well, you know, there's only five words on there that are common objects, but boy, he says like yeah. 10 nouns or 10 verbs or something. So it's like okay. better than objects, just so exactly. much that object goal. So who right. cares? Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Modify it to, or just, you know, if you describe the progress, um, they'll eventually reach that goal, but maybe not in the time frame. but look at how much progress you've made that just wasn't necessarily tied to that goal. Right. And what was the point of that goal? The point of that goal was just to get that child speaking and the constraints of it is just like, so start with objects. But if you did verbs, that's more beneficial to them and they're still saying more. So the overall goal is to increase expressive language. So you don't always have to follow the goal to a T strictly. We're only doing nouns because that's what it says. Well, and I think we have to do so much for our jobs that I don't have time to sit down and like perfectly word every goal and know what's going to happen in the future. But I know the kids that I'm working with in front of me, and if we're making progress, you know, I can build on that. And we know, I know we'll get to that goal, but I'd rather work on um, what what the child is engaged in and we're um, learning in today and not worry so much about the goal because I'd rather spend time doing therapy than writing precise goals. Exactly. Yeah. Makes sense. Obviously the goals are important, but like, it's also, yeah, they give you like a, you know, something to work towards and it's, uh, yeah, obviously very important, but. Right. Yeah. (laughs) We, so we shouldn't be rigid. So this goes to what you keep saying um, is that it's important to be flexible yeah. Uh, before we wrap up our segment here, do you have any quotes or mantras that you want to leave the listeners with? Well, I think going back to just as I was changing settings and um, learning something new for myself, working in home health was that I had to um, keep things in perspective. I think as we go in and work with families, we have all these goals that we want to work on, but you also have to remember these families often have a lot on their plate. And even if we give them homework or things to do during daily routines that, you know, they have a lot going on. So um, I think just knowing that when we're working with families and being patient and, you know, helping them the best that we can, but also um, realizing that, We just have to keep things in perspective. Yeah, keep things in perspective. And I think that's great. We have to, that's, it's great advice for anybody at any time, but especially for this population. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Leah. Yes. And we'll have to have you back on soon. Yeah, this was a fun, um, it was very nice chatting with you. I've been wanting to um, connect for a long time. So thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And where can all the listeners find you and your materials and resources? 
Um, well, I am at Speech and Language at Home, which you can find me on Instagram, um, Facebook, Teachers Paid Teachers, all um, under Speech and Language at Home. Nice. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you so much.